0: been in a room with, not been on an airplane with, actually met? Most famous person. Come on. Elton John. Who said that? Elton John. President Bush. Bush. And so you what? Okay. Bruce Willis. Where did that come from? Right here. Michael Jordan. Nice. Who else? Most famous person. Tiger Woods, y'all have gotten around a lot more than the first service, for sure. Eric Estrada, Estrada. punch. We had someone who had met the Incredible Hulk, so we've got the 80s uh, shows going on at the first service. Who else? Anybody famous that you've met, most famous person you've met? Denzel Washington. Anyone else? Who? Rebecca St. James in the Newsboys. Excellent. Mac Powell. That's good. We'll come back to that. Let me read Luke 19. We'll come back to all of that. After Jesus had said this, he went on away, went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find the colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks in the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls." It will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Today's Palm Sunday, you got that when the kids came in waving the branches. Uh, this is the, the two thousand years ago or whatever. The Sunday, the first, the Sunday of the last week of Jesus's life. He entered this story we just read. The triumphal entry. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. People are waving palm branches, throwing coats on the ground. It's called Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry. That's what we're going to talk about today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this scene. We're just going to look at Luke, and there's two things I want to say. There's a bunch going on. We don't have time to get into all of it. Two things I want to say. The first thing is that Jesus is the king. That was the point of all of this. Jesus, by what he was doing, was saying to everybody, I'm the king, and they got it. And that's why the people responded the way they responded. They knew what he was saying. Zechariah 9.9 says... Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus, uh, just previous to this, had raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a big deal. That was a public thing. There were people around. According to John 12, they were people were talking about it. There was a buzz about what Jesus had done. And our version in Luke. Luke says they were praising God for the miraculous things Jesus had done. This is the culmination of three years of ministry. He's healed blind people. He's raised people from the dead. He's fed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. He's calmed the storm. He's done all kinds of stuff and the word has gotten out. And so there's this, he raised Lazarus, I think it was in Bethany, which is really close to, um, it's where he left from. So he's taking this route from Bethany up the Mount of Olives, then down to Jerusalem And all around that, these people are kind of spreading this news that Jesus is coming. And he says, get a colt. I'm going to ride in on it. Everybody knows Zechariah 9.9. This is the beginning of Passover week. It's a festival. There's tons of Jews in Jerusalem. All of this is coming together, and it's all scripted. None of this is by accident. Jesus is trying to communicate, I'm the king. The people get it. Now, we hear that, and we say, yeah. We say that, and we sing that. But we don't really understand it because we don't have any frame of reference for living under a king. Like the closest thing we have is the Queen of England. And she's a figurehead. It's all ceremony. She doesn't have any real power. The G20 was in London last week. And I followed it a little bit. And the only reason she got in the newspaper was because she hugged Michelle Obama. She didn't do anything other than that. No, And she got an iPod. And should the Queen have gotten an iPod instead of whatever you would give a Queen. So that those were. that's it. That's all. She didn't make any decisions. She didn't have any influence on policy. She got an iPod and she, hung, she hugged Michelle Obama. That's it. It's all ceremony. She's a figurehead. It's not what's going on here. This is uh, 1 Samuel 8. The, the Jews are asking, the Israelites are asking for a king. God's saying, you don't, you don't want one. Here's what's going to happen if you get a king. This is what the king will, who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. That's what God's saying is going to happen. That's what kings do. Anything within their kingdom is theirs, and they can take it. Jesus isn't that kind of king that we read about in 1 Samuel 8. That's, just a, that's a human king, but he still is a king. The dominant message that Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You can't have a kingdom without a king. They go together. Kings have kingdoms, and kingdoms have kings. If you're a Christian, you are a citizen. A if you will in the kingdom of god if you're not a christian jesus is still the king you've just rejected his kingship he's still the king kings are not based on popular vote they're based on most of them who their dad is and the father said to jesus you're the king and so he is whether we accept him or not that's really beside the point the point is he has a kingdom and he is the king and everything that lands within that sphere of his kingdom is his he can do with what he wants. You read that in 1 Samuel. They're gonna, they don't just take your stuff, they take your kids. And they take your land. Whatever they need to accomplish their purposes, they get. Period. And that's what Jesus is saying, that's who he is. He's that type of a king. In the ancient Near East, that's where most of the Old Testament is set, there was kind of a, the kings, when they would conquer a distant land, they would set up a, a statue of themselves in this land that they conquered. There wasn't TV so they couldn't do these you know, televised addresses or anything like that. You put a statue that basically said, this is mine. You can't see me because I'm hundreds of miles away, but when you see this statue, you remember that I conquered you and you know that this is mine and I'm running the show. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read that Adam and Eve were created in the image and likeness of God and they were put in a garden. Adam and Eve served as kind of those statues. Here's the reminder this is mine and everything in it is mine and it's going to be run based on my agenda, my purposes, my plans. We're all created in the image of God and us being here, that's part of what we do. We're, uh, we are we're the statues that say to everybody and everything, this is God's and he owns it all and it, all of this is working towards his Purposes. We've talked for three weeks about the fact that God has put something in your heart to do, and it's your plan, future, whatever. Think about that in this way. Think of that in Genesis 1-2 terms as your garden. There's this place, this location, physically and relationally, where God has put you. And he's set you there, and you're sitting there to say, this, whatever this thing is, if it's my home, if it's my business, if it's my school, whatever it is, this thing that God has put in my heart, you being there is staking claim to that. You're the statue. It's saying this is all God's. Everything in this sphere is His. Now, Adam and Eve were created in the image of likeness of God. So are we. When we become Christians, we're adopted into God's family. When you become the, we're the children of the king, which makes us, I guess, prince and princesses. So we're not just representatives. We're not just the statue representing to everyone else, hey, this is God's. We're also the agents through which he works. Everything God does, he does through people. That's most of what God does, he does through people. He does it through us. Most of what he wants to accomplish in the world, he does through his people. He does through us. So you, in your thing, doing your deal, you're acting as a representative of the king. And you being there is a symbolically saying, this whole thing is the king's. It works both ways. And that's what's going on here with Jesus entering Jerusalem. He's laying, he's saying, I'm it. He's not saying I could be it. He's saying I am it. What's kind of amazing to me, in Zechariah 9, 9, it's not, which is the prophecy Jesus was fulfilling, he's not laying claim to being a king. The picture there is of a king who's already won, coming back into a city. The victorys it's won, which is interesting considering he's going to die in five days. But going in, he already knows, I've won. I'm not laying claim to anything. I'm proclaiming something that's done. So that's what's happening here. And so for us, really the question is, do we recognize that Jesus is our king? That's hard for us. It's not where we live. We're personal liberty and individual freedom. And like that's where we live. That doesn't fit with, a king who can take what he wants really without asking and use it for his own purposes but that's what's going on here the very beginning of that story it's easy to miss Jesus sends two of his disciples we don't know who says i want you to go into this town i want you to get untie this donkey this donkey's going to be tied up and i want you to take it and bring it back to me and if anybody asks you why just tell them that the lord needs it we have a word for that stealing it's not his it's somebody else's donkey It's stealing unless it is his. And if he's the king, it's all his. And in Luke, it says the owners say, what are you guys doing? They say the Lord needs it, and they say, okay, take it. You go out there after service, and someone is taking your car, and you say, what are you doing? And they say, well, I was in church, and God told me he needed this car. You're going to let them have it? You're going to call the police. That's not what, what is that? These guys recognized that Jesus is the king. And so they said if the king needs it, then he gets it. And they don't say, well, are you going to bring it back? It's my best donkey. Don't hurt it. Is he going to pay me for it? They just give it to him. No, They just give it to him. There's no negotiating. There's no arguing. The king needs it. The king gets it. That's where we live, even though we can't see it. If you're a Christian, then you're living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And so... My question for you is what's the donkey in your life? Is there something that God wants? Is there something in your life he's said i 'm not talking about bad stuff is there something in your life that he's saying I need that I need that to accomplish my purposes money that 's an easy one that's an easy parallel we based on last week it sounds like a lot of you guys are good with that time that's a huge one where we live I need We've said earlier, most of what God does, He does through people, which means we have to be available to Him. A lot of us, we don't have any more time. We're chock full. But is He saying, I need more time? Or the time that you have, I need you to use in a new way. The, our deals, we talked about that. Our, this thing that God's put in our heart, our deal with a little d only has significance in light of God's deal with a capital D. There's this drama going on that's unfolding. We're extras. Jesus is the star. We have a, a part. It's an important part, but we're the guys on the side of the road waving the palm branches. He's the one riding the donkey that everybody's come to see. And we've got to recognize that, that our life has meaning only in relationship to him and to what he's doing. And he might be saying, I need that. Whatever that thing is that's your deal that makes you come alive when you... That's what... I need that. And he wants to appropriate that for his purposes. That donkey... We'll call him Jack. That donkey is famous because Jesus rode it. Nobody's heard of Jack if Jesus doesn't take that donkey. And that's what he'll do with your life. I didn't think about that with Jack and being a donkey. <laughs> we'll call him Bob. <laughs> yeah, I saw you snickering back there. So we'll call him Bob, the donkey. Bob becomes famous. Everybody there now? Good. So we'll call him Bob. Bob is famous because Jesus wrote him. He brings a whole, there's a whole nother level of of dignity, of influence, of of, stat, of all of those things because Jesus has touched Bob. He's holy in a sense. And whatever it is that he wants from you, it's the same thing. We can be afraid to give him those things because we, we don't know what, he, are you going to break it? Are you going to give it back to me? Are you going to compensate me in some way? Whatever it is that he wants, he will, that thing will, he'll take it to a whole nother level. Because it'll be serving the king. Not just you. It'll be serving the king. This thing that, whatever it is that we tend to guard, that we keep, this is the one thing you can't have. If you'll give it to him, it will, the life of that thing will take on a whole new Dimension. I can't be any more specific. That's a little ambiguous, but it all depends on kind of what's going on in your heart. I'll trust that the Lord will speak to you if that's you. The second thing I want to say, and this is maybe the biggest thing, everybody just about missed Jesus coming to them. All this hoopla surrounding him entering, the palm branches, the donkey, the hosannas, the coats on the ground, all of that, they still missed it. A few days later, Pilate brings this Jesus out, bound, bloodied, bruised, broken, and says, what do you want me to do with him? And they say, kill him. It's the same group of people. They they missed it. They completely missed the king coming to them. Read what Jesus says in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, these guys have just, I mean, the whole way, palm branches, coats, hosanna, all of the festivities there. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. He weeps twice in the Bible. This is one of the two times. As these guys are praising him, his response is he weeps. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They missed it. It, it, looks, like, it looks like they're there. They're responding appropriately. That's what you do to a king. You praise him. You worship him. You honor him. It looks like they get it. But he knows that they don't because he knows what's coming. And he knows that they ultimately are going to reject him. They miss the fact that the king has come. There's really two groups of people here. You've got the religious leaders who, they were never on board. They're the guys that rigged the whole deal for him to get betrayed and tried and all of that stuff. And then you've got the crowds who seem to be on board, but who aren't. And ultimately, they say, no, we don't want him either. He's not our king. They look at him when Pilate brings him out and say, if that's the king, That's not what we had in mind. That's not the king of Zechariah 9-9. The king of Zechariah 9-9 should be wiping people out, not getting the fool beat out of him. He should not have gotten arrested. He should not have gotten beat up. You teased us. Yeah, you raised somebody from the dead. Yeah, you opened some blind guy's eyes, but you're not the real deal. If that's who you are, that's not what we want. Kill him. Just kill him. And let's see what's... They all reject the king, and that's really the category. All of them reject him and. For us, you can't enjoy the benefits of the kingdom unless you submit to the king. There's a little bit of time where you can. There's a little bit of time where God is gracious and he will let us enjoy the benefits of his rule without submitting to him as the ruler. But in general, that, it's, it's short. It's a short period of time, whatever that looks like. It's years, it's not months. Where God will say, you can enjoy the benefits of living in my kingdom. But ultimately, if we don't submit to him as king, we miss it. And that's what's going on here. Jesus says, I came to bring peace. That's his kingdom, his rule. And you guys rejected me, so you've lost the benefits of what I'm bringing. You've lost the benefits of my kingdom. And so judgment's coming, and that's all that stuff about being hemmed in and all that embankments and dashing against the walls. You can read, that happened in 70 A.D. to Jerusalem, Rome, Sieged it and took it and sacked it and it was done. And you can read that in your history books. Jesus is saying, that's what's going to happen to you guys. You've rejected me. That means you don't get to enjoy the benefits of my kingdom, which are peace. So you get judgment. And the same thing is true for us. If we reject him, we can't enjoy the benefits of his kingship. It's just like, you know, those of you who have, who have children who have grown. remember what it was like growing up in your parents' house. You don't get the benefits of being in your parents' house. Unless you're in your parents' house. My kids don't get the benefits of living in my kingdom unless they're in my kingdom. And if they step out from under that, and they, then they lose the benefits of that, whatever those are. And the same thing is true for us with the Lord. If we, if we reject him as king, then we're going to ultimately lose the benefits that his kingship brings to us. So this is my question for you. Have you missed him? in some way has he come to you as the king and you've missed him yes or no? some people miss him on purpose like the pharisees they just flat reject him they say i'm not interested in that at all and that might be you or that might be people you know and a lot of times people like that have intellectual or moral objections to the faith science has disproved the existence of god the bible's full of contradictions the church has wreaked havoc throughout the centuries there's too much pain in the world so how can you believe in a good god christianity is too dogmatic christianity is too exclusive then that might be something that you have and say this is why i'm not in he's not the king because i've got all of these reasons intellectually and morally why i can't i can't buy it or maybe that's somebody you know and what i would ask you simply is if those objections were answered to your satisfaction would you accept him as the king yes or no if those objections were answered to your satisfaction would you accept him as the king if the answer is no then you're hiding you're hiding behind those those things might be real but that's not your deal there's some other reason why you're not following him and you need to figure out what that is or your friends who are, they need to figure out what that is and if the answer is yes if you can answer these objections i'm in then i would say put some time into answering those objections. The most important question you're ever going to answer is, is Jesus the Son of God? If he is, everything hinges on that. And if he's not, then none of this stuff, none of this matters if he's not. None of this matters if he's not. It's the most important question out there. Is Jesus the Son of God? And if you've got intellectual or moral objections for why you're saying no, how much time have you spent digging into that? They're not new questions. People have been asking them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And they're answers. And you might not like them, but they're there. Dig in and see. This is a great week to do that leading up to Easter. If you've got people in your life or if you're one of them who just says, I can't buy it because of whatever it is. The Bible's full of contradictions because the Gospels, miracles don't happen because it's all legend. Whatever it is, dig in and see. Take some time. It's the most important question you're ever going to ask, so put some time into it. Come see me. I can help you. I can give you books for dummies, and I can give you books for geniuses, and you can decide where on the spectrum you are, and you can figure out what works. I can point you to websites. I can point you to ministries. I can talk to you about some of this stuff with what I've learned. Again, you might not find the answers. Maybe they won't satisfy you, but they're there, and if you've got something, get into it. Don't say the reason i'm not accepting him as king is because of because science has shown we don't need god come on get there just get there and and see the bible's full of contradictions show me one and let's talk about it because the world's full of evil i can give you a reason you might not like it but i can give you a reasonable explanation for that and other people can as well so that's one That's some people. More people, I think, are in the crowd. They, We reject Jesus because he doesn't meet our expectations. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not. But if it's intentional, it's usually rooted in some hurt. We asked Jesus. We asked God to do something, and he didn't, and we're angry. And it might have been that thing was really significant in our life, but he didn't come through the way we thought he should, and so we said, I'm out. And that might be you. I think for more of us, it's unintentional. It's kind of... The celebrities in the room and we don't recognize him. You know, I was, if, if LeBron James walked in right now, my wife would have no idea who, she, who he is. She'd say, wow, he's really tall. And that's it. She doesn't know who he is. The president of the UN walked in. I wouldn't know who he is. The, you know, there's, sometimes we can be around people who are famous and we don't know it. We just don't know them. Or sometimes this happens where we I was talking to a guy after the first service. He was a missionary in France for 10 years, and he used to do a lot in the tennis world. And he was friends with a guy named Stan Smith, who was a Davis Cup tennis player. And Stan Smith was relaying the story to him. Stan was in, was in Monaco for some tournament, and he was at a banquet. And he was kind of mingling. He's a kind of a famous guy. Everybody knows him. So he's mingling around, and he meets this guy. It's the Prince of Monaco, but he doesn't know it. And so they're talking, going back and forth, and ultimately Stan says, So, where are you from? And he says, Well, I'm from here. And it wasn't until later until he found out who he is. And that sometimes happens to us. We don't recognize who we're, they don't, they don't fit the profile. And so we don't recognize who we're talking to, and it affects how we relate to them. And the same thing is true with Jesus. None of us have a blank slate. When it comes to God, when I say God, when I say Jesus, when I say Christianity, when I say church, when I say gospel, there's a you've got a chalkboard and there's stuff written on that chalkboard. Some of it was written by your parents. Some of it was written by your school. Some of it was written by your Sunday school teacher, Some of it was written by the experiences you've had. Some of it was written by your friend. Like there's stuff on your chalkboard. And some of it's true and some of it's not true. And the problem is when the stuff that's not true dominates. And that's how we relate. We don't realize it's the Prince of Monaco. We don't realize that's who we're talking to because it doesn't fit this picture that we have of who Jesus really is. What we have to do, you just got to go through and erase the stuff on your board that's wrong and write the stuff that's true, but it can affect how you relate to him. Some people see Jesus as this guy, ultimately God's like your granddad, your senile granddad, and he's just going to say, oh, everybody, come on in. Let's just. it's fine. Just don't worry about it. And everybody's going to be okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all going to be okay because God's so nice. Some people see God as this real harsh kind of—he's uh, a accountant and he's got the green visor and he's—what are you doing? And he's writing what you're doing. And there's a long, long list of things you can't do. And there's a short list of things you can do. And he's just—and he's marking it. And if you don't make it, then you're going to get worked, and it's not going to be good. You're going to burn forever in hell or however you see that. Some people see God as a vending machine. I put in a dollar and push Coke and I get a Coke. And so I'm doing my part. Why aren't you doing yours? I'm going to church or I'm reading my Bible or I'm praying or I'm not cussing or whatever it is that's your version of putting money in and you push the button for what you want and you expect him to give it to you. And when he doesn't, you get frustrated. There's all kinds of stuff on our chalkboard that's not true. And it can cause us to miss the king coming. And remember, if you miss the king, you miss the kingdom as well. You don't get the benefits of living in the kingdom without submitting to the king. And sometimes, for a lot of us, it's unintentional. We're not submitting to him because we don't recognize him. He doesn't fit the profile. It's the same thing that happened with the crowds. On the outside, it looks good. I'm waving a palm branch. He doesn't do what I want, and I'm yelling, kill him. Because he didn't fit the profile. He didn't fit my expectations of who he would be. And if that's you or me, us, people you love, it's bad. Because you can't enjoy the benefits of the kingdom without submitting to the king. And you can't submit to a king that you don't know. And so there might be things on your chalkboard that need to be erased. And you might not have written them. You might, might, maybe that's not your fault. But you're responsible for your heart. So ultimately, you've got to be the one to erase them. And write the true stuff down instead. Or he's going to be standing right there. And you're going to miss him. And he says, that's not good. We miss his kingdom because we didn't recognize him coming to us. You guys can come back up. We're going to close with...